Broncos All Decade Tackle Orlando Franklin. Two time All Pro linebacker Chad Brown. Former Broncos tight end and New York Times best selling author Nate Jackson. 1043 The Fan welcomes you into the Players Club. So, yo, world, I hope you're ready for me. Now gather round. I'm the new fool in town, and my sound's laid down by the underground. I'm drinking all the Hennessy you got on your shelf. So, just let me introduce myself. My, my name, name is Humpty. Where you at, peoples? Good morning. This is the Players Club on a Where You At Wednesday. Chad Brown was supposed to be in here today. I think his dog ate his homework, Orlando, so he's not here today. But it is Orlando Franklin, Nate Jackson, John Simmer behind the glass, holding it down on the ones and twos. How you doing today, oh? I'm good, man. Good. Feeling great. Got up early this morning. Got a nice little um, resistance band workout in. Okay. Yeah, you know, so just that's kind of where I'm at with life now. You know, 35 years old, don't want to lift weights anymore. But nice little functional movement. Keep the flexibility going. Um, Is this a 5 a.m. workout? I started to get an after about 5.20 this morning. I slept in. No, no, no. No, it was up at 5, but... I was just moving slowly, and and I was looking in the closet, picking out what I'm going to wear, and then I was like, oh, let me get downstairs, let me start this workout. First of all, I wasn't even going to work out, to be honest with you. I was, it was just going to be a big reading day. I'm reading uh, the Stephen A. Smith uh, documentary right now. How's that going? It's good, good. Uh, did he write it, or did he have like a... a I'm sure he did not write it. Okay. I'm sure he probably had somebody write it. Did you write your own book? I or? did, yeah. Okay, so you didn't call the guy, and the guy no. listened to you during the session. No, no, no. I had an editor, so you know, I would I would write it, and I'd send it to my editor, and he would take a look at it. It's always good to have an editor for your, your writing, even if you're a really, really good writer. There's some stuff you don't see, you right. know, the, the redundancies or... You repeat yourself, which I just did, and uh, or typos and things that you don't find. Yeah, but the no, Stephen A. Sure. Smith is that about his just his life, his his rise to like the, the highest paid media dude? Um, so far it is. Uh, talking a lot about just his upbringing and and the crazy situation and going to you know a school that that later got rid of their basketball program and not playing a lot of basketball was a street baller originally. You know, and trying to get that that scholarship, and you know, then when he finally got in his like senior year of high school, he finally got the opportunity to play basketball, and then he gets like benched because of academically a teacher like fails him in a class, so he Mm. gets benched. But he ends up going to college still on a partial scholarship, and then gets out of that school, and just a neighborhood guy that. This family that he was very close with his family. The girl that was like a big sister to him was dating this guy that went to like Winston Salem and had a little bit of pull. So had Stephen A. working out at, at, at on the street basketball court right there in the block, <laughs> like put him through a, like a vigorous workout, like tough, just going against different person, different person off the street, and then ended up bringing him to his alma mater's tryout the following week and vouched for him and got him a scholarship to that school. So. Just super cool, unique stories. I I love the story aspect, Nate. Just finding out what a person has been through to to their for that rise to the top, and you know the stuff that I'm reading in this book with Stephen A. Smith. I would have never guessed half this stuff, so it's it's pretty interesting. So, would you ever write a book? Oh, have you thought about it? Um, you know what? I was actually in the process of writing a book. That did. I, I'm not the 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 writer. I'm not that skilled, Nate. So my involvement of writing a book and 
had me like speak to somebody a couple times and right. we talked about different parts of my life different chapters and and uh we've got through the first two sessions and then i went and coached in san fran so uh okay. kind of dropped those pieces right where they let right where they stayed right there and haven't picked those things back up right now so uh, hopefully when i get through school this year graduated in december then maybe you know next year early 2024 i'll, I'll get back to finishing up that book well, you said that you had a couple sessions and then you went out and coached to the, uh, with the Niners. Now you've been back and you're, you're doing a lot of stuff. And so you're basically adding chapters to the book with your life. You know what I mean? And so you, you don't want to put it off forever, but you got more meat on the bone now if you do decide to go back and write that thing. And I'll tell you, man, like the process of writing the book for me, when I stopped playing football and um, I got the deal to write the book, the reason why I got the deal to write the book was I started writing these little freelance articles for different websites and newspapers and stuff. And then I got the attention of some publishers and some agents and I got a book deal. And when I started writing the book about my experience in the NFL, man, it really created some like some distance from between me and that experience because I was looking at it like with a different with a different eye trying to figure out how to tell the story and not having that clo- uh, story so close to my heart where it was like hurting my heart. Mm. You put some distance to it, and then it actually allows you to put to rest a lot of these feelings you have towards your journey or bitterness you might have or anger or regret or just like whatever it might be. I encourage anyone out there listening, if you have a story inside you um, or something you want to say, just the act of putting it down on paper is very cathartic. You know, it makes you feel like you're done with that chapter and you can actually move on. Nice. Yeah. I like it. I like it. Kind of just putting it to bed, right? Put it to whatever issues you had with it. By putting it down there on paper, you're able to kind of let go a little bit more, right? But um, so the way I I, I wrote my book was I started, the opening scene was at the very end of my career, towards the very end, and then I backtracked to the beginning and and, and traced a straight line back to the end. So if you were to start like in a triumphant moment of your career, if your book was to begin... Like, what's the most triumphant moment, most special, glorious moment of your football career in the NFL? Of my football career? Yeah. Wow, I, I would just say being drafted. You know, I, I you don't understand, Nate. When I got drafted to the NFL, two years before that, didn't even think the NFL was a, a possibility. Two years even before that, didn't even think college was a possibility. So I would say that big moment... And obviously there were big moments that happened in my career. We won a lot of football games. But for me, I, I would say the ultimate moment was just hearing with the 46 overall pick, the Denver Broncos select Orlando Franklin. <laughs> Did you have any inkling that it was going to be the Denver Broncos? Um, No, not at all. Um, Honestly, thought that I was going to Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh was picking a couple picks later. Mike Tomlin had already called me and said, we're taking you. If you're there, Pittsburgh was at everything. They brought me in for a visit. Um, they met with me at the combine. They came down to Miami, worked me out. Mike Tomlin was at our pro day. Uh, it just felt felt right. Felt like they were going to take me. And um, Denver, Coach Magazoo had called me, set up a workout. Like three days later, called me back and canceled on me. Hmm. And I was just like, okay, <laughs> I, I guess that this is not going to happen. But in when with him calling me back and canceling me, he was like, hey, I still want you to, I just want you to know, we still like you. We like you a lot. I just can't get down there to, to get this workout uh, accomplished with you. So, but, you know, you're looking at 32 teams. You're looking at so many other teams that have so much more interest 
than the little interest that the Broncos showed with with just calling for a workout in a situation like that. So thank God that didn't work me out because they probably would have never drafted me. Maybe. You what? never know. No, right? Sure. Everything happens for a reason. Yeah. I look at it like, hey, you know, maybe they come down and work me out and all of a sudden me and Coach Magazoo, we, we rub each other the wrong way during mm. that workout. And maybe they, they say the heck with that. We're not going in that direction at 46. So uh, I'm happy that it all ended up the way that it ended up for sure. I can see you in the black and gold too, though. The you, black and gold, Steelers. Huh? The Steelers colors. I can't see. You it. couldn't see it. Can't see it. I mean, you're you're a nasty player. You're a road grader, man. You're oh that, yeah, that man. Kind of, you know the blue collar Steel City. Just gonna just gonna maul you. Yeah, but um, can't see it until it happens, right? And yeah. And, and, and you know, you look at it. I, I did think that the jerseys were pretty cool, especially when they do wear you know majority black. You you, you tend to look a little bit slimmer. You know what I mean? <laughs> With the Broncos, I was looking at that orange. I said, "Man, I'm probably going to look like a pumpkin out there." <laughs> a very successful pumpkin. Yeah, yeah. You guys kick some ass while you're here. All decade tackle sitting across from me right now, Orlando Franklin. We think that we plugged in your replacement finally. Almost what ten years later. Yes, sir. Mike McGlinchey. Let's hope he doesn't suffer the same fate as every single right tackle that came after you, Orlando. Um, all right. Broncos camp is, is, is knocking on the door. It's only a couple weeks away. Actually, the rookies report one week from today. Which position battles in camp are we most excited to see? And which positions could see a new starter emerge in 2023? We'll do that next. VIP entry into the Players Club with Orlando Franklin, Chad Brown, and Nate Jackson. Shade! Good God, it's a raid! <laughs> Cut out the lights! And call the love! <laughs> Johnny, you play an instrument? Cut out the lights! No. No, but you always wanted to learn how to play drums, yeah. But. It's not too late, man. Just, uh, it's more of like a, a space and a sound thing than more than anything. What do you mean? For, for drums? I mean, you oh, need a right, lot of space right, right, to right, right. set up a drum kit. You can go to these, like, studios. You can rent, you know, a room for, like, eight bucks an hour and just bang on the drums. They got a drum kit there. I would, ra- I would need, like, a, I would want, like, a professional teacher that would, like, walk me through YouTube, the whole bro. process. YouTube. You know, I was listening to Stokely and Zach yesterday, and Stokely usually has a lot of good advice. He gave Zach some really, really bad advice yesterday. <laughs> Dude, I don't know if you heard this, but Zach is interested in picking up guitar. He, he mentioned that he wants to like pick up a guitar and learn guitar. And Stokely's like, no, that would be a mistake. You're too old. It's too expensive. It would take too much time. You got kids. You got stuff to do. Don't do that. I have a... I have a- uh, ex-teammate that taught himself how to play the guitar in like year five and six in the NFL and now is like in a band, retired, like tours and everything. Who's and that? He's like the, the lead, uh, Joe Barstow. Hmm. Yeah, man, I picked up guitar around the same time, my fifth or sixth year in the league. I had an injury. I went on injury reserve. My season was done, so I started taking guitar lessons from a dude named Brad, a bluegrass player in Boulder, and... Dude, all you need is some fundamentals, and then you can go. If you practice for 30 minutes a day, two or three times a week, in two years, you're going to be rocking it, man. Mm. And Zach is, what, 35 years old? He's a young dude. 
You know what they say about country music, right? <laughs> Countries, country songs are three chords in the truth, right? That's what they say. Three chords in the truth. They're very simple. You learn three chords, which is just three different configurations of your fingers, and obviously you got to strum with the other hand. That's the hard part, doing both at the same time, mm. like kick sliding and punching at the same time yeah. as a tackle. But, but once you get that down, Zach, you will have endless hours of joy for the rest of your life. You're going to be an old man sitting on the porch singing to your grandchildren these stupid country songs that Kissinger, Kissinger makes you listen to that you pretend are good. You can sing those songs to your friends. Oh, mm. not good. Wow. Jeez. Sounds like Stoke might be projecting a little bit. Yes. Yeah. Because he thinks it's too late for him. You got a lot Yeah, he, like if he had that dream or something and he was just too busy. Well, it's not even too late for Stoke. doesn't want Zach to do it. It's not too late for Stoke. He has time. He has time. Both of you well, guys so should you, learn well, you and do, become a band. So you just weren't feeling like um, what my world spins around by uh, Jordan Davis yesterday coming out of break? No. Like that Kissner played? You, were, you weren't feeling that one? Kissner's songs, the, the songs he plays, <laughs> they all are the same. Oh, not good. They're the same song. <laughs> it's the exact same song by different artists. Like he Super likes, duper. <laughs> we know how you feel, John. Mm. Not a country fan. No, like not even old school country like Merle Haggard and Willie Nelson and Johnny Cash. I can tolerate that. What about Johnny sure. Cash, Johnny? Johnny? I haven't really like dove into the Johnny Cash discography. But like if he comes on, I'm not like dove upset. into the Johnny. No. Nope. But you're familiar with these legendary songs by Johnny Cash. Yeah, they're not bad. They're not bad. They're not bad. Okay, good. I'm just not, you know, obviously music's subjective, but um, I'm just not into, into, I don't seek out to listen to country. You're into <laughs> And it's going to be a different camp for a variety of reasons. But Camp Hackett last year was, uh, it was like Ernest goes to camp. This was, this was uh, patty cake, patty cake, waddly acha, waddly acha, doodly do. Sean Payne's going to run a difficult camp, an intense camp, a physical camp. I imagine they're going to practice hard every day in their own way. Now, they can only practice once a day. Back in the day, it was twice a day, oh. Um, but there's going to be some battles in camps, some guys who are able to show what they have in camp, and it's going to earn them perhaps an opportunity to be starters when they might not have been going into camp. Do you agree with that statement, that, that a guy can emerge as a starter with an awesome training camp? even though he wasn't a starter going into it? Absolutely. Uh, I think that there's a, a couple each and every year that, that ends up just being like, whoa. Um, you know, I look at defense completely different than offense, right? Defensive players are high rotation, and, you know, you could be a guy that maybe they only viewed as 20 snaps a game and you've earned the right now at, you know, you know I don't know. 45, 50 snaps a game now because of how you went about training camp. But the more that you could have those battles, the more your football team is made up like that, I truly believe the better off your football team is. So going into a training camp and you have all 22 spots locked up and those are the starters. I don't necessarily, how big is the gap with the guys behind them? You know, and are those the right guys on your football team? But they, as far as you, the guys that you're filling out your roster, so the more position battles you can have, I think the better off that you are. And last year we saw 
the Broncos go into training camp with Matai Moody, you know, battling it out with Dalton Reisner in, in OTAs at the left guard position. And then Matai Moody battling it out with Quinn Miners at the right guard position in training camp. And Quinn Miners ultimately won that position. So I think that that's how you create competition. That's how you create a tough football team. And that's how you really have that true next man up mentality if you do have injuries during the course of the season as well. Well, let's start with that offensive line because I want to think, you know, I want to run this by you and see if any of these positions you think that are penciled in as starters right now uh, on the depth chart could be supplanted by someone behind them. Garrett Bowles? No. Ben Powers? No. Lloyd Cushenberry? Yes. Quinn Miners? No. Mike McGlinchey? No. So really, Lloyd is the only guy who's got to earn his job in training camp. Yeah. Can you get it done? Uh, right now, you're penciled in as a day one starter. But can you fend everybody else off But that's behind you? Because they're coming for it. They're, that's the competition. That's right now when you look at this whole entire football team, unfortunately, the harsh reality, Nate, is that Lloyd Cushenberry is the weakest link on offense, even with what, how, what Russell Wilson did last year. Mm. Because you do have Sean Payton, and Sean Payton's going to spend a lot of time with Russell Wilson. Sean Payton's not going to spend a lot of time with uh, um, Lloyd Cushenberry. And yet you're going to be the guy from day one, but you better get it done the way that he wants you to get it done. So um, that's the guy on this whole entire offense right now that is going to have to go out there and battle every single day and earn the right to be the starter. So right now they got Greg Dulcich as the starting tight end. Do you see? Do you see that changing at all? Because look, just looking at the depth chart, you got Alberto listed second on the depth chart, third on the depth chart, and obviously depth charts created by ESPN, for example. They don't know what Sean Payton's thinking, yeah. of course, so they're just throwing this out there. But Adam Troutman, an acquisition um, this offseason. He's a New Orleans Saint, or he was. Sean Payton knew him from there. He's now in this tight end room, and so is Chris Manhurts, who is the man in that room. He's you know 30 years old, a big road-grading blocker. He's got like 15 career catches in eight seasons. So he's not a pass-receiving tight end. He's a blocker. Um, do you see Greg Dulcich being the starting tight end in week one? I see him being a starting tight end. He has some talent. He's willing to block, but I don't know that anybody pushes him in that room. He's the most complete player at that position in that room. Manhurst, black and tight end, that's what you just said. Block. That's what he's meant to do, right? Which is kind of crazy because he was a basketball player back in the day. But now you just come in and you are like, you go the opposite way from Jimmy Graham, the opposite right. way from Antonio Gates, the opposite way from Gonzalez, and the opposite way from um, Julius Thomas. This guy says, oh, no, I'll block, right? Does so, that mean that maybe he has the potential to become one of those guys if unleashed by the right guy and this is the right guy? Maybe, right? But, I mean, seven, eight years that are already in the league doing it one way, you don't kind of reinvent the wheel. Yeah. They kind of get labeled it as something, but maybe Sean Payton finds a, a way to, you know, use his skill set and, and expose defenses. But just how it pencils in, blocking tight end. When you look at now Troutman, he, well, he was pissed off at his role of being forced into a blocking tight end role. So maybe, but Dosage is going to get a nod before Troutman does. And then you look at Albert O, this is your last chance, right? Last year of that rookie contract. And I do believe that, you know, Albert O is probably going to be put into a more of a situation that Jimmy Graham was. I don't even think they're going to attempt to block with Albert O. I think that it's the writing's on the wall. We know what you are. We're not even going to attempt to change you. Hey, Greg Dosage, can you become this complete package for us? Because we know that last year you had the injuries. You haven't played a lot of football. And yet 
you still had a decent rookie year. So um, I think they're going to try to give Dulcich as much reps as possible and hope that he can be the guy in that room when it's all said and done. This is an interesting conversation about tight ends and the way it's going to look in this offense. Um, Cecil and Andrew Mason, I believe, were on Orange and Blue today, yesterday, or one of these recent days, talking about the tight end room and how it's going to be by committee and these guys are specialized and you'll bring in this guy for that thing and this guy for that thing. And I'm thinking, you know, didn't, isn't that what Hackett tried to do last year? Like Eric Tomlinson was the blocking guy. He was the man hurts guy. Um, uh, Adam Troutman is equal to Eric Salbert who did everything pretty well. And then you have these, the same two guys, Greg Dulcich and Albert O who are still here and are the pass receiving guys who need to get better at blocking. Haven't we seen this movie before? Is, is this really the best way to do it, to have the Swiss Army knife and, and this guy who runs this play and this, this guy runs that play? Isn't it better to have a guy who does it all well? Um, it depends, Nate. Um, are you going to repeat? Are you going to be multiple? Are you going to make sure that the things that these guys do good, you're going to continue to put them in that position so they can do those things good and even have an opportunity as the season goes along to now do those things great? That's what Nathaniel Hackett didn't do. Remember last year we thought that Andrew Beck was going to be the next Kyle Juszczyk after game one? Yeah. And we were like, oh, my goodness, coming out the backfield, catching the passes in the flat. He was in, in, involved in the passing game, and then he disappeared for 16 games. Yeah. So are you going to have to know it all as a coaching staff to make sure that you are keep on doing these things because you can win like that i've seen it many many times where you have a guy that specializes in this a guy that specializes in that and guys are specifically out there for a reason heck i was in practice one day then we called the play and julius thomas looked to the sideline and said yo clancy i'm not supposed to be in right now because it was a run play and he knew it and he specialized just in the passing game but guess what that gives you touchdowns that, that gives you mismatches, right? And you're able to expose teams because you're putting Julius in the right position to succeed. When now, on the flip side, they would look at Virgil Green and put him in the right position to succeed. With Nathaniel Hackett, maybe you might have put guys in the right position to succeed in the tight end room, having a guy specifically maybe twice all year out of 17 games. Right, So you didn't have that adult in the room to repeat these things and keep on saying, hey, here is the game plan. When we do run this play, I want you in there. And hey, we are not even good. We're not only going to put you in there. We're going to go to you because we know that this is a mismatch and you're going to go out there and create a big play for us. Hackett didn't do that last year. Greg Dulcich showed his his um, capacity in the passing game last year on limited work and, and put up some... Pretty good receiving numbers. To me, Greg Dulcich, this training camp, it's about you putting your hand in the dirt and getting to be a better blocker, working every day to become more physical, more reliable on the line of scrimmage so you can be the front side, tied in on a running play. Javante Williams can go right behind you and scoot off for a touchdown. If Greg Dulcich can reveal this himself to be reliable in the running game, he'll be your day one starter at tight end, and then the sky's the limit for that guy running down the field because we've seen him run and Sean Payton has as well and has had some nice things to say about him. All right. Um, hey, morning mixtape. We got some, uh, well, we got some spicy stuff. PS2 voted best cornerback in the NFL. We'll do that and more on morning mixtape next. The Players Club welcomes you into the morning mixtape with a look at the biggest stories in Denver sports. Here's Orlando, Chad, and Nate. A lot of folks were upset when 
George Payton, in his very first draft as GM, decided to take with his very first pick, Patrick Sertan, the second. Um, but he has been vindicated in some ways. Voted PS2 was voted the best cornerback in the NFL. An ESPN released article. Uh, they surveyed league executives, coaches, scouts, and players to determine the NFL's best cornerback. The result: it's PS2. Your Denver Broncos number one corner. Some of the things that were said in the article, quote, he's a complete corner, physical, technical, versatile. He's a true matchup guy versus the best players. Premium ability on press or off coverage. Outstanding open field tackler. Solid ball skills. Plays with confidence. Really, really smart. And plays discipline so he doesn't give anything away. Uh, quote, he separated himself and I don't think it's close. An AFC scout said, if you're picking a team. You're taking him first. Do you agree with that AFC scout, or would you rather have Justin Fields on this team, Orlando? <sighs> PS2 or Justin Fields? PS2. I'm not sold on Justin Fields. I think Justin Fields is a running back playing quarterback position. Um, and it's going to be very interesting to see him continue down this road. Justin Fields right now is at where Russell Wilson was at when he first came in the league. And then all it takes is that one big hit and you say, oh, no, I want to stay in the pocket. I want to throw the ball down the field. I don't yeah. want to be that running back no more. Yeah. Right. So I look at PS2 and what he's came in. It's been sensational. Um, even when this team has lacked a pass rush, he's found ways to get it done. So you look at a guy like that and and he's a cornerstone. He's a he's a player that when you're, when it's all said and done, you're going to be comparing him to Champ Bailey's career and saying who did it better for the Denver Broncos, Champ Bailey or PS2. I like how you did that there, Cornerstone. Did you just even know that you did yeah. that? Look at you. You're so you're so punny. I'm on it today, man. Yeah, right. Okay, guys, the NBA will pass two new rules for the upcoming season. Um, and I'm going to read it to you. And this is pretty cool. It's an in-game flopping penalty. Orlando, the NBA Board of Governors has approved an in-game flopping penalty that will be implemented for the 2023-2024 NBA season. Um, oh, gosh, I just pressed the button on Twitter and I lost it. Okay, here we go. Um, oh, my gosh. Okay, if a flopping penalty is assessed by game officials, the opposing team will be awarded one free throw attempt. Nice. Uh, a player who commits a flop will be charged with a non-unsportsmanlike technical foul. A player will not be ejected from a game based on flopping violations. Officials will not be required to stop live play to call a flopping violation. They can wait until the next neutral opportunity to stop the play. Like it. You like that? Yeah. Yeah. I like it a lot. Um, you're not making the game longer. You're not sitting here boring people and now cutting to commercials in a situation like that. But, uh, yeah, you guys need to be penalized. I like what the NBA has done over the last couple years to, in their great effort to fix the game, right? Remember, what was it, two years ago, Nate, where you, you touched somebody, and it's a foul on a shot or a guy kind of <laughs> oh, shoots right. through you yeah, or whatever, him, you know, his kicks leg his out. leg out. You know, they've corrected these things and yeah. now they're addressing the flopping aspect of this game. So I think that these rules definitely help the game of basketball. And now when you put the cherry on the top where they're not going to stop the game right there, like they could go back and look at it. I think it's a, it checks all boxes and um, it's only going to improve the NBA for sure, in my opinion. Yeah, flopping to me and calling flops is kind of like when your little kid is learning to walk and run and stuff and, and jump and he falls down and he's like, ah, he's not really hurt, but he's like trying to get sympathy. Well, you you get to react that way. You either run up to him like, oh, it's little Johnny, are you okay? Or, or, what, or what do you do? Or you just look at him. Or you just don't look at him. Yeah, you or act you act like you didn't see it. Exactly. Right? You ever see your kid just jump yeah. up when you act like you didn't see it? Yeah, you just walk the other right? way. 
So yeah, and so, and so the refs are the same way. If you're going to run up to him ah, the first time he does it, of course he's going to do that forever. Just turn and walk away, or in this case, give him a technical. Okay, I, I, you weren't here last week, so I want to ask you about the the in game tournament that the NBA is planning on doing. Have you have you looked at that? And do you have any thoughts on um, that? I have a, the the basic gist of it. If you want to explain it a little bit more. Johnny, what what is the specifics of it? They're doing an in in season turn, not in game turn, an in season tournament um, that's going to uh, describe it within like the first couple weeks of the season, um, and then they're it's going to be like included in the eighty two game season, right? And then the finals is going to be at a neutral site in Vegas. Oh, it's in Vegas. In Vegas. And then the winner, the winning team gets uh, $500,000. Each player gets 500, player. Yep. 500 Gs. Okay. Um, I'm, I'm still, uh, they, I, I, yeah, if I'm a listener right now, I'm still lost right now with, with that explanation. Well, so they're trying to model it like, uh, like how they do in European soccer. Yeah. So they'll do like off, like just tournaments that are included within the season as a way to just like, spruce things up I guess mm. and so that was the big thing that Silver was mentioning is like we're really trying to model like the European soccer aspect so it's basically just trying to create season hype see more hype early in the season while also giving an, a monetary incentive to the players and probably trying to also combat um, like uh, load, management load management as well right. yeah yeah mm. Yeah, okay. I like it, I guess. Whatever, I mean, right? It's kind of whatever. Makes no sense. Uh, I guess maybe John Morant's a little bit more frustrated, lost a little bit more money, right? <laughs> I mean, with a situation like this. Right. Uh, let's be honest. How, how much of the NBA are you really tuned into within the first month and a half of that thing? Yeah, not a lot. Uh, yeah, how much are you really paying attention? Like, I pay attention because of my job, but uh, a couple years ago when I wasn't really looking at basketball that serious, uh, I wasn't paying attention that much because of how the game is because when you look at a team like the or, uh, Toronto Raptors when they won that championship and how they load managed Kawhi Kawhi played like every other game right. that season right and you know if you're a fan and you're saving up money to go to some of these games and now the, the best player is not playing you're pissed off in a situation like that so hopefully this helps somewhat correct it out I, I'm guessing that this is what you're trying to do but we'll we'll see if that actually does correct it because I still think some of these super teams are still looking to rest the heck out of guys and make the push at the end of this thing and just talking about let's go win the finals the heck with these little tournaments during right. the season exactly especially the nuggets what do they care about that you know mm-hmm. this might be a, a tournament that uh the lesser teams care about maybe it's just an excuse to go back to vegas orlando because everyone loves vegas i don't know if you saw what happened in vegas yesterday a dude was holed up in his hotel at the caesar's palace he had a weapon uh he was armed and he had a conflict with domestic dispute with his wife or something like that so he was holed up and he broke the window and started throwing furniture out of the window down onto the pool deck below wow they had to evacuate the whole pool and uh it was scary to see that window busted out again that's crazy yeah um I think Vegas has to do a better job. Like, if you're going to Vegas, why do you need a weapon? Why do you, what, like, what? Like, I, I get what has happened in the past, and there has been some crazy things that have happened. And trust me, I, I, I get all of our amendments, right? And we have the right to bear arms. But if you're going to Las Vegas, and you're going to, like, just go hang out and have a good time. You're missing the point. If I'm, yeah, like, <laughs> if I'm, like, a casino owner, there's no way, like... I'm putting in 
stuff to, to make sure that you cannot get in my hotel with a, something like that, right? Yeah. Well, then, after that dude, you know, Stephen Paddock did that thing at Mandalay Bay where he yeah. was, and, and they showed footage of it, him going back and forth, back home, coming back with bags. He had like 15 bags in there. Like, yeah. they didn't even detect that thing. That Like, nothing weird about a guy bringing in this fifth trip of three bags, you know? Mm-hmm. And then, um, yeah, I don't know how you, but at the same time, how do you stop? A crazy person from doing what they want to do. Mm. You know what I mean? Whether they thought they get in their head. Obviously, I think those two are very different situations. Yesterday seemed to be some, you know, impromptu spur of the moment thing. But hopefully everyone's all right over there. Um, all right. So this Broncos wide receiver room is a really interesting kind of sub subplot to the entire training camp that's going to be going on with the Denver Broncos because it's just so crowded. I mean, I look at this thing and I and I and I remember being one of 12 wide receivers in training camp trying to make an impression, trying to catch the eye of the coaches, trying to make a play every day. And it's a war of attrition because difficult training camps, guys are going to drop, guys are going to get hurt, you're going to get opportunities one day. You know, there's 12 guys on the roster as receivers. Some days in training camp, there'll only be six or seven guys out there because of some injuries and stuff. You are going to get opportunities. What is this battle going to look like in the wide receiver room? We'll talk about that next. You've been admitted VIP entry into the Players Club with Orlando Franklin, Chad Brown, and Nate Jackson. Such a good beat. This is The Roots, but it's taken from Knight Rider. You guys are a couple of millennials. You ever watch Knight Rider? David Hasselhoff? Talking Car? I've seen it a time or two like, while browsing through channels, but I haven't uh, sat down and, and watched an entire episode or sat down and watched like wherever I, I, I flip the channel and, and watch the remainder. Yeah. Uh, it usually lasts like two or three minutes on that. Yeah. I don't think it was that good of a show, to be honest, to, to really warrant you watching it now. Mm. I think it was one of those shows in the 80s that was pretty cool. I think back then, but I don't know if it would stand the test of time. First of all, the car itself, you know, the technology has been supplanted thoroughly <laughs> since then. But they could do a remake. Mm. Why don't they do a, a remake of Knight Rider? Would um, you watch it? Because it might have been stupid back then, so it's stupid now. Well, no, it had like, it had fa- like I was a fan back then. I just think like oh, hindsight, yeah. maybe it wasn't. One of those iconic 80s shows. Mm. So that, what kind of car would it be right now? What yeah. these electric things? Yeah. Tesla? Probably a Tesla. Yeah. Well, those I already mean, are talking cars. Yeah, they could do everything, right? Yeah. That was the original Tesla. Uh, Kit was the name of the car. Mm. All right. <clears throat> but By the way, do you think any Broncos drive Teslas? I'm sure there's a couple. Who do you think drives a Tesla? Russell, probably. He has a Tesla. No, we saw Russell at the end of the, the Times Mobile. But he's got, like, probably more than one vehicle, right? Yeah, but I'm sure I'm sure there's a couple players with, with Tesla. Those things are dope, man. They, they got some giddy-up. They do, man. Yeah. It's kind of scary how fast they are. Yeah. Um, do you, you don't have a Tesla, though? Um, no, I do not have a Tesla. Thinking about getting one? Uh, we are thinking about getting some electric cars over the next couple of years, yes. Plural. Multiple electric cars. Uh, well, I have a wife, 
Um, it's true. Um, uh, there's me as well. Right, um, and Zade's what he's five, so yeah, you know, um, they they got well. Um, what are those power wheels? <laughs> are those electric or are those gas guzzling oh, power wheels? Well, well, they are electric right now, right? I mean, you plug it in and charge that thing up, and you just roll. So, are you able to kind of tell what kind of driver Zade's going to be based on you know his tendencies behind the wheels <laughs> as a five year old? Is he uh, obeying traffic laws around the house? Um, no, I think my my, my two year old's a little bit better of a driver than Zade. I think. Oh, really? Yeah, I tell them they <laughs> drive on the on the sidewalk, and my two year old always stays on the sidewalk, but my five year old always jumps the curb, oh, and ends right. up in the road and stuff. Nothing better than jumping the curb, though, when you're a kid on your bike and stuff. <laughs> um, okay, so the RamosLaw.com text line informing us that they did make a remake of the Night Rider. And it didn't do well. Mm. Big surprise. Yeah. All right, guys. A lot of intriguing battles in, in camp. Before we get into what the this receiver room, because I think this is one of the more intriguing battles, any other position battles you're looking forward to seeing? Obviously, we talked about the offensive line earlier, but any, any other one jump in your mind? Um, the other defensive end spot opposite of Allen. Like who? Who's going to beat that guy? Right? I mean, I know DJ is going to play the the center position. I know you know we just got the guy from Arizona. He's going to play one defensive end position. Who's going to be the other guy? Is it going to be Matt Hitstick Henninson or you know other Jonathan Cooper or, or who exactly becomes that guy? So looking forward to that and um. Just how they use these inside linebackers. We know that Alex Singleton and Josie Jewell is going to be the guy, but, you know, does other people get some burn, get some playing time? Um, when they go to dime, what does it look like? When they go to nickel, what does it look like? So I'm always intrigued with, with that, with defense, especially with how this defense played last year and getting virtually little to no help in free agency and in the draft this year for the Broncos when you look at that front seven. Yeah. So I'm I'm very interested to see how it all plays out and who becomes like that war daddy, that workhorse at both positions for sure. Do you feel good about Josie Jewell in the middle? I think Josie Jewell has found a way to get every bit of ability out of that body. Um, Josie Jewell has been incredible. You know, I, I know... Sometimes I have come by or come past as a Josie Jewel hater, but um, I, I think Josie has done a heck of a job of keeping his head down and just you know not caring about what the the, the outside, not caring about the outside noise, and and doing his job to the best of his ability and understanding his limitations as well, and and now becoming a a really really smart football player and not putting himself in positions where he can you know be exposed. I, I think he has, has really figured it out over the last two years. Yeah, I think the duo of Alex Singleton and Josie Jewell in the middle there, incredible. Incredible year last year. Let's just face it. Those guys were tackling machines, very smart players, very active, energetic in, in the running game and the passing game, making tackles behind the line of scrimmage, putting pressure on the quarterback, sideline to sideline stuff. And like you said, um, improving, keeping their head down and getting better. Josie Jewell becoming a better cover guy as well. Obviously, you're never going to be able to stay with a guy like Travis Kelsey or some of these top-end wide receiver, tight end guys, even running backs who know how to run routes. You, you are at a disadvantage as a defensive player trying to cover those guys. That's why pressure... <laughs> from your defensive line is so important um, on plays like that. But, okay, switch over to the receiver room because there are 12 receivers in camp. And when I'm looking at this, I don't think there's one guy on this list where you say, nope, he's not going to make it. Mm-hmm. Now, when you're talking about practice squad as well. And I'm going to list 
I'm going to give you this list, and you can tell me if there's one guy, there's no chance he's going to end up on either the roster or the practice squad. He's just a camp body. Okay, Jerry Judy, Corlin Sutton, Tim Patrick, those are your big three. K.J. Hamler, Marvin Mims, who is your rookie, first pick. He's a second-round pick, but he's the first pick in the Sean Payton regime. Uh, K.J. Hamler, Marvin Mims, Marquez Callaway, Brandon Johnson, Lil' Jordan Humphrey, Kendall Hinton, Jalen Virgil, Montreal Washington, and Taylor Grimes. Mm. Well, I, I would say out of all those game, names, the, the name that jumps out to me immediately is Montreal Washington. You know, um, he was brought in here to be that special teams guy and, and was given the job and given every opportunity. Um, coming from a smaller school as well, having a very similar body type to what? A guy, KJ Hamler. Yeah. The guy that the Broncos have said, Hey, KJ, we're, we're going to incentivize you. We're going to, you know, restructure your contract going into your last year. We're, we're going to give you the opportunity to earn extra money. But yeah, we're going to, you know, put an injury guarantee out there where we could you know cut your contract if you get a specific injury but they're giving them an opportunity to get more money so when i look at montreal washington you're not viewed better than than him you and you have the same style body type you're you're, you're the same type of player as him i look at you know Mar- marvin mims junior right well this sean payton regime just drafted him that's the same body type as well and oh, by the way, uh, little Jordan, Hel- little Jordan Humphreys, right? Same body type, right? Oh, he's uh, a big dude. No, oh, sorry, Marquise Callaway. Sorry. Yeah, apparently Taylor yeah. Grimes is a little guy too. Yeah, so Marquise Callaway, I meant. Sorry, my my, I forget when I use the iPad. You you know how you touch the screen and yep. it's not like the computer mm. and then it starts you know jumping around and yeah. stuff like that. But um, you already got four guys that got very similar body types yep. with a guy that hasn't played like the big time football compared to these guys as well. And last year we look at a year where you could have got Montreal Washington some real help, right? One on one, seven on seven would have really helped a guy like this understand and, and, you know, really take his game to the next level where I think that he's kind of stayed still. There was no real jump and it was all focused on special teams as well. So yeah. when I look at this wide receiver room, if I had to pick somebody, and say, yeah, he's gonna not going to be here on the roster. He's probably not going to be on practice squad. It'll be a Montreal Washington. I would agree with you there. I think that um, it's going to be a hard road for Montreal because just because, well, he was, like you said, body type, man, Marvin Mims Jr. I, they want Marvin, in my opinion, Marvin Mims to be the number three wide receiver for this team. And also, uh, he's going to return, right? Marvin Mims is a punt returner as well? Um, yeah, he, he returned at uh, Oklahoma, yeah. Yeah. So, so, is there going to be a move, Corliss Sutton or Tim Patrick, in the, in the middle of the season? Um, do you want to have the highest paid wide receiver room in the league, and also a quarterback who's near the top as well, or do you want to trim some of the fat off there, deal a guy, um, get something back for him, and insert Marvin Mims Jr. or someone else who's playing well into that number three receiver spot? Typically, the number three receiver on a team is is like a twenty to thirty catch a year guy. You know, does he warrant a ten plus million dollar contract? Maybe not. If you're trying to maximize the value of everybody on that fifty three man and everybody on the forty five man game day roster, do you want your number three guy just playing uh, offense, or do you want to play in special teams as well? And also the injury issue, man. Tim Patrick got hurt last year in the middle of camp. There's going to be another one. Mm. It just is what it is. We hope they all stay healthy, but who's going to emerge? 
You talked about no one-on-ones last year. They're going to have a chance this year. K.J. Hamler, huge camp for him. Apparently, the pecs all healed up, and he's a guy who was a second-round pick a couple years ago, has flashed in ways that I have not seen a receiver flash when he's healthy. He has a skill set that not a lot of guys do. Um, And so K.J. Hamler, to me, is going to be an imperative for him to be catching punts, for him to be showing his worth in the return game. Marcus Calloway, you mentioned his name. This is a guy who made a strong impression on Sean Payton in New Orleans and is now here to try to continue that. Uh, Brandon Johnson, a guy who's apparently had a really good offseason in good camps, caught Russell Wilson's 300th career touchdown pass as well. Fun fact, Kendall Hinton, Mr. Everything, played quarterback a couple years back, um, got his shoes in the Hall of Fame, <laughs> and was a really reliable receiver last year. I thought had the best hands on the field last year for the receivers and was very instinctive, catching the ball and knew where to be. Is that going to... You know, is that going to reveal itself during camp? And then don't forget about Jalen Virgil, a speedster who made the most dynamic offensive play all season last year for the Denver Broncos. And um, Taylor Grimes back there, probably 11th or 12th on the depth chart, is a guy that, well, our very own Cecil Lammy says, keep an eye on this guy. His college, incarnate word. That's where he went to school. And apparently he's a very smooth route runner, very smooth hands. So this is shaping up to be a really interesting battle. And there will be some surprises, I promise you that. And and Sean Payton's task is to dial up a type of competitive camp which gives these guys an opportunity to make plays on a daily basis and separate themselves from one another. The goal is at the end of the camp, at the end of preseason, it should be clear who your top six guys are. You know, And that's up to Sean Payton and company to create that. All right, guys. I know you're all excited about this. Omaha Productions has a new product out. It's a eight-part docu-series on one specific position. Can you guess which one? We'll do that next.